Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition, Niagara Tradition Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. We're available all the time, every episode on demand at WGR550.com and ESPN 1520's website as well. Happy Labor Day weekend. Very happy Labor Day weekend. Love long weekends. No, so do I. We're going to be closed Monday, too, yeah, so we so won't be laboring. To heads up, you're going to be yeah. brewing? We're going to be brewing today. So if you want to pick up your supplies for the holiday weekend or if you just want to come see what we're doing, I think I'm finally going to make that fest beer I've been talking about for three weeks. You guys do a bunch of like uh, clinics and events like that. Is today generally a, a brew day? It's not like an official it's event? It's not like an official. We do it we, for beginning home brewers. We do a sit-down class where we take you through start to finish. Um, a lot of times we'll do kind of single demos or um, we'll just have brew days and so while it's not a traditional sit-down class meaning we're not going to take you through with a presentation and go through you know bottling and sanitizing and and where the different ingredients come from um, we will be brewing a beer start to finish and you're more than welcome to come hang out in the classroom and ask questions as we go along and i would have to say i think uh, a lot of times if you were to hang out for an entire you know all grain brew day around the store with the kind of the people you know who stop in just to have a tasting um you're probably going to learn quite a bit you know as much as you would in a beginning brewing class so it's a great unofficial day you got it to kind of just pop in yeah all right. Well, good. There you go. Stop by today at uh, Niagara Tradition. We are one week away from the entry deadline for the Niagara Homegrown Homebrew Competition. If you're hearing this now for the first time, bad news, you're not going to be in the competition because yeah. you need to have a beer ready by next week. You could try for a Saison, but not suggestible. be tough. It would be tough. So with the competition deadline a week away, what have, uh, what's come out of it so far? Granted, you're going to have We're the bottles. We're starting to get some entries. Okay, you're gonna have a, a question that keeps coming up, um, is this BJCP sanctioned? People thinking about their points out there. Yes, it is. Um, and if you're looking for entry forms, you can use the standard BJCP ones, and there's a link to those right on our homepage. So if you go to the Niagara Tradition homepage, you'll see right underneath the contest information links to the BJP website. And if you're having trouble filling them out, just like any of a competition, uh, come in. We'll help you print them up, fill them out, and get you on your way. Beers are going to sit for two weeks. So if you are just hearing us the first time, but you do have a beer that's ready or is uh, currently being bottle conditioned, like mm-hmm. you can just toss it in and um, compete, provided you've used 80% Niagara malt. Uh, there is no entry fee. Three 12-ounce unmarked amber bottles so that's your reminder for the competition in which the uh the deadline is next week last week we went over hop harvesting and this week we're going to move into yeah. and i want to touch up a little bit on hop harvesting we, we, because stuff i got a left. couple fo- follow-up questions okay. um and the main one was okay if i'm not making an oast if i don't have a food dehydrator how long will they take just sitting out on my kitchen table? Which is something we don't advise, but... Not even the screen with the dryer, but just sitting just out. Just sitting out. And, and it's going to take th- anywhere from like three to five days or could be more. And it's really going to depend a lot on your ambient humidity. Uh, if you have a you know air conditioning system and you're not running it because it's getting a little bit cooler, turn it on, turn on the dehumidifier, make sure you take the humidity on the, out of the air. Otherwise, they're going to be sitting there and not drying very much. And... 
And again, any air movement you can get over top of them helps. So even if you have a dust fan, you can blow on them. And anything you can do to prevent dust, put a you know a sheet over top of them, some cle- cheesecloth, something to keep the dust off of them. So if you can dry them, just sitting out on a table. You'd never. And I I'm don't just, advise this. Just on the counter. You would yeah. never. And I'm going to use a word here toast them to try and dry them out like heat there's there's some people but like we talked about you want to be under 140 degrees and most people's ovens are not going to have a setting for that some people try propping the door open turning it on and off or maybe turning it on and then as it cools down putting them in there just to let them warm up a little bit i always think you're better off you know kind of trying to make a homemade oast again there's you know directions for some of those online and in the simplest way we talked about last week sandwich all the hops between two air filters and put them next to a box fan and that works and if you have your you know kitchen and living room covered with hops while they're drying just remember they are poisonous to dogs so keep them away from the puppies hops are hops are will they eat them in the garden i've never i've had hops and dogs and never had that problem you just basically have to watch out for the dog that will eat before thinking you like if you it. drop yeah. it on the floor you just scoop it up and where we've heard about like you know where the, the potential is if somebody takes their trub mix with you know spent grains dumps it out in the backyard and the dog starts to go for it you know so something you want to watch out for okay. i want to ask you a question that also sounds bad how poisonous um like they puke or they die they can die they can die they can die um it, i know i don't know too much about this but i know it acts as a uh an accelerant um to their cardiovascular system and a lot of times they over uh heat or dehydrate so add it to the list chocolate raisins grapes hops hops yeah i'm trying to think if there's anything else in there that dogs are not supposed to have all right well i mean that's good to know i mean i was we uh closed down our house and i'm already casing the backyard for like where i'm going to plant hops we've got some fence i've got some room and we we have dogs and i don't want them to be uh uh anywhere near them i suppose but i don't like you said like i don't they're not all that in, all that motivated to just eat a plant off a vine. They never really do. Yeah. Um, but if it fell in their food, that could be different. Okay. So any other questions that came through last week that we have to tidy up? I think we're good. Okay. So the next step is how Using to use them. Yeah. All right. You've dried them. You want to use them. Yeah, and so it, it can get um, difficult. And as well as we're at homegrown hop season here, we're also getting into new hop season. And so we're going to get soon, you know, new experimental hops. Last year we got 438. Remember you brewed with that. and uh, uh, mango we got. You got it, you got it. And so we're going to have a lot of those. And so we're going to have a lot of new hops, a lot of people brewing with unknown hops. Bought them in the spring or maybe two, three years ago. And, of course, you don't see a production, so – all of a sudden, they have these wonderful flowers, and they have no idea what they planted. So, yeah, we're going to talk about using the homegrown hops. Well, where does one begin? So, is there a, I mean, is there a checklist? Is there a do and is there a major do not do or do not? No, but there's one thing that you, I guess, you would see online, which they put as a major do not, and and this is advice you often get when you first Google using homegrown hops is don't use them to bitter because you don't know the alpha acid. And that's very true. And, and if you're looking for batch consistency or really trying to fine-tune an IBU for a beer, you don't know the alpha acid for it. And so if you use them for bittering, it could be within a range. So if you're, say, like growing Cascade, and it's 4 to, say, 8% potentially, um, it could be anywhere inside there. But 
I would say in the spirit of home brewing and home growing your hops, every brewer wants to make a smash. For those of you who don't know what a smash is, it means single malt, single hop beer, and they want to take their homegrown hops and use those to make a beer of that style. So you get a full profile of just that hop. Now, I use them for bittering my beers all the time we talked about the often the beer i end up making is a very big kind of imperial ipa where i just start you know harvesting hops and instead of packaging them after drying they go right into the brew pot um and so that's one strategy you can go with sensory overload you can make a big massive iba that's over 90 ibus and you do that by just throwing as many hops as you can into the boil the finish and you know two to four ounces into the dry hop and you have a sensory threshold for hops once you hit about 110 ibus and i've seen that number floated around um it's uh you don't taste anymore all your taste buds depending on how many you have are reacting and you're not going to taste any more bitterness from the hops so my strategy is go for that you know beers that taste like this would be like heady topper or something like that they have just you know overwhelming hop profile to them they're hitting off all the bitter indicators and that's the kind of beer you can make quite easily with your homegrown hops and it helps if they're an american sea hop obviously but it's not the only option you can still make kind of a nice pale ale if you want to as well when you say um, never use them for bittering, you, but you you do that sometimes, though? I do. I do. And and if you're going to ask, you know, people say, well, what can I guess for the alpha acid? And I tell them, well, if it's a young rhizome, I would assume it's at the low end of the alpha. So, if, again, we're going Different to Cascade. Different species is going to have. Uh, yeah, and you okay. can go to the USDA website, and they actually, one I think the best sources for hop information is the USDA website and will give you a range of the alpha acids that it sees for those hop varieties and so when you look at something like cascade it'll give you about four to eight so if you have a young rhizome and you're trying to get yourself a ballpark on a starting recipe here for using your homegrown hops i would assume they were you know closer to the four percent and if they've been established well trimmed and kind of you know um, well fertilized as well you're going to be closer to that high end and, you know, anywhere from like seven to eight. So if you're going from year to year, will that, how much will the alpha acid in a hop change from year to year? Say you've been brewing your own home. Yeah, home significantly. Brew. Because as the rhizome gets bigger, it tends to put more alpha acid into the individual flowers. But also the, um, the soil pH has a factor as well. Um, and so if you have an alkaline soil, the hops tend not to get at the nutrients they should. Um, if you have a more acidic soil, it kind of frees up more of the nutrients that they're looking for, uh, and you get much more alpha acid production. I'm going over our notes here, and I'm seeing you wrote smash, single malt, single hop. Yeah. I had no idea that's what that stood for. Really? No. Yeah. And I've seen smash beers all over the place, and I had no, I just, I guess I never put it together, yeah. single malt, single hop. You'd think at this point in my beer drinking career I would have done it at some point. Yeah. But they are, I would have to say, they're, they're probably one of the, the beers I get most excited about home brewing. And if you're coming in and you're trying the beers that we have at the store, um, very often the beers are smashes because they highlight both, and we can highlight a new malt and a new hop. Um, when we do these at the store, again, you'll see everything from a giant Imperial IPA down to really light pale ales. We tend to do more of the light pale ale range and the reason for that is certain hops and you see this 
you know, people kind of say with Sriracha Ace or Summit, you can have these very distinctive flavors that sometimes don't appear and to use a lot of the hop and or sometimes are not, we'll say, off-putting until you use a lot of the hop. So in Sriracha Ace, that's the kind of soapy effect. Um, if you use a lot of that hop, um, you get kind of, some people say, a soapy effect to the beer. If you use um, a lot of Summit, you tend to get a little bit of green onions, or some people tend to get a little bit of green onion. There's other hops that will have those flavors. Um, so usually when we're making, and again, this is we're going to have some at the counter because we're getting into new hop season here, we tend to make something kind of at that lower IBU range for a pale ale just because it's a safer bet. You can get a full profile of the hop, but if, it, if there's any part of it that's going to be overpowering or off-putting, you don't quite get that right in your face. Hmm. All right. I'm thinking about sriracha ace. That's coconut is in there, right? Yeah, kind of coconut. That goes all the way to soap, huh? Yeah, can go all the way to soap for some folks. Oh, I'm glad I've never actually tasted the soap. Yeah, all those off flavors are there. Are they? Is there a threat? Like you mentioned, the USD. You know, and different people have a different century. What I was going to ask is, they might not have the taste buds for those indicators at at all. Is there a good site that would tell you what the threshold might be before you get to that kind of stuff? No, I mean, you can go down homebrew talk, and usually when, when you're talking about hops, Forums say, and ask people what they... You got it, and, and they'll say, oh, try to watch out and don't use more than, you know, yeah. this much. All right. Uh, we've uh, Well, geez, we're already blasted through our first segment here. We're going to get to a break here. Uh, more on using your homegrown hops, uh, extra pale ale, something like that, super imperial. Lots, lots to talk about here as we uh, roll along. So using your homegrown hops, uh, more on that next here on Niagara Traditions Just Brew It. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back here on Niagara Tradition, just brew it on ESPN 1520, telling you how to use your homegrown hops. Um... You mentioned, Bert, that we're going to get to a kind of like a new hop season. So this is like the last show of this hop season, I suppose, right? Uh, I think it's going to be a couple more weeks. A couple more? A couple more weeks. So we're starting to see some of the varieties in kind of emails and periodicals that we can expect to see this season. Um, We're starting to get some information about hops that we might have had last year that only had like a call number, like HBC 48, or finally getting names, ones that were kept around. Um, And so we'll start to get them in probably in another month. I would have to guess. All right. So keep up to date with us on your hop season as uh, we turn from uh, summer to fall. But using your homegrown hops. All right. So if you're going to use, even though a lot of people say don't use to bitter, we just established that. Um, but using it where there are a lot of leaf hops in your, I mean, these aren't pellets, obviously. Yeah. So using leaf hops in these brews, if you're going to load up on leaf hops, like, how will that change the brew day? How, how does that change the whole process? It can get quite messy, and, and they're going to take up a lot of volume, especially because they are, when you're using homegrown hops, they are very often 
complete whole cones. They haven't been shredded at all. They haven't been, you know, crushed in packaging and then, you know, fluffed up by you. So they're really whole flowers and they tend to take up a lot of space. Now, I don't often use uh, hot bags, but I'm often using pellets. When I'm doing these you know, homegrown hop beers, uh, it's not uncommon, say for the Imperial, to use, you know, 12 ounces of hops, 10 ounces of homegrown hops. And at that point, if you're just leaving those soaking in the bottom of your kettle, um, you're losing a fair amount of beer. So you may want to hook up a hop spider. You may want to What's a hop grab... spider? Hop spider is a way of holding a large straining bag into the center of your brew pop. So people will usually take a mash paddle and some office clips, and they'll put a brew paddle over top of the mash tun so they can keep kind of adding yep. their hops into the same giant bag. That way at the end of the boil and at the end of chilling, you can take that bag out and you can really ring it out we always say don't ring out your grain bags but you're safe to ring out your hop bags but it's gonna you know significant loss if you don't when, so r- like ringing out is with this like how, how does that exactly happen when you say like i'm picturing you just like twisting yeah no, really start, just at, the, ring start it like, at the open end and start just like a paper twisting. towel just you got it get after it. it and there's nothing to fear you got it okay so from there from there, I mean, it's really going to be kind of like one of your normal beers, but you really want to record kind of what you would guess a bitterness level is on that. And because if you're trying to use these hops in the future for bittering, you want to have that alpha acid kind of guess later on. Um, but, you know, that's just one thing to kind of look for. And now let's talk a little bit more, too, about those the actual kind of recipes we're going to be using here. And let's talk about the kind of simple pale ale that you want to do for your beer and um i usually can give people kind of my base recipe that i use for you know homegrown hops that are given to me or a lot of times we'll get hops in from either direct from a farm or from a supplier and we don't get alpha acid amounts and so we'll use them in a beer Um, and i usually start off with either 10 pounds of two row or six and a half pounds of liquid malt extract and even though i call it a smashed sometimes I will put in a little bit of American dextrin malt. Um, It is cheating, but it's very neutral. It usually doesn't interfere with any malt flavors, uh, and it builds a little bit of head retention. um, And that's all you put in for? Yeah, and that's all you're putting in for. And now for the bittering addition, too, you're aiming for about six IBUs. Now, I'm literally going to guess at that about every time but if again if you're using cascade it would be about one ounce if you have centennial say oh that averages out at eight i'll put mine at two thirds pretty safe to use one ounce for bittering so if you had something at chinook that at most is going to be you know eight hbus which is going to get you a little bit more than 20 that's not outside the range for a pale ale um, and then you want to use about one ounce of the hop to finish and about half an ounce to dry hop one thing that you might find, though, when you have homegrown hops is you get a lot of them and a lot more than you know what to do with. And again, one big disadvantage of this homegrown hop recipe here, although it's the kind of beer you can drink a lot of, you're only using two and a half ounces of mm. hops. So if you have a mature vine and you've now put away, you know, two pounds, you're going to have to make a lot of this pale ale, you know, to get rid of all your hops. Go back to the Imperial IPA. Now I'm using, you know, 17 pounds of base malt, probably a pound of honey. I've cut the 
crystal malt completely out. Um, you're using four ounces to bitter, and you would be in more danger if the hop was low alpha than if it was higher alpha than you were thinking. And about five ounces in the hop stand. So from about 20 minutes down, five ounces of hop, four ounces in the bitter, you're already up to nine. And now if you use you know, anywhere from two to four ounces in the dry hop, you've got rid of anywhere from 12 ounces to a pound of your homegrown hops. And you have this nice big imperial IPA that you're going to want to bottle, put away, save, you know, break out at special events and say, here, hey, this is my homegrown hops. And it's, there's a lot of them. And this recipe you have, like what, the IBUs on this are like off the chart? About 100. And, and again, because you hit a century threshold, you're trying to hit that with this big beer. That really you the, need the, those IBUs to back up the threshold. You got it. What does that mean? How, how does that? Well, you, you need, how you were talking about like, oh, is there a you know a threshold amount for you know different flavors and different hops? Well, we all have not only a different total amount of taste buds, we have different taste buds, and um, once you have all of your taste buds in your mouth reacting to a certain chemical a certain flavor you stop tasting any more of it it can't get any stronger i I mean i guess a good example is with hot sauce it doesn't taste any hotter but you can feel the burn yeah and that's the only thing that i would say you could get with one of these big imperial ipas if you really over hopped it you know people might get kind of a little bit of a sniffly nose and they might you know say wow this is a really kind of clearing me out or stuffing me up here if they start to have a little bit of kind of almost hay fever with it are there any beers that seek to do that it seems there there are and and the the big one that everybody crazes about is heady topper that's above 110 yeah i would it's right around there it's 90 to 110 it you know and that's the point where i think most people can't taste any more i've seen different numbers float around and most of the time you see studies done on it now you see a range of ibus yeah. But yeah, no, most people tap out at a certain amount. So you can't I, taste any more. Yeah, I'm just I'm thinking about that sensory threshold. Like when I'm thinking about you mentioned hot sauce, people seek the hottest sauce. Mm-hmm. And when you mentioned clear yao, I thought about horseradish, which or wasabi, where I go for that because I like the sensation that's somewhat painful a little bit. That like makes you feel like you're being cleared out up there. So as you approach one ten or one ten plus, how high how high does the chemistry allow it to go? If humans had a better sensory threshold, it goes. It can go higher, but there is a kind of a solubility and saturation point. So it, at a point, even though you're putting more hops into the beer, you're not getting that much right. more out. And, and anybody who's done, you know, scaled up a recipe, you kind of see this curve. You know, it's not a straight line. It's kind of a you know parabellum curve. And where it starts to flatten out. And so you're adding lots more hops, but getting almost no IBUs in return. Hmm. Interesting. I, You know, I think this is where I realized that I've never had a heady topper. Yeah. Is it worth it? Um, it mm. depends. I think, you're about I think to tell it me be, it's over, overrated. Uh, well, I think I've told you many times that um, I don't believe, you know, taking day trips out of state just for a beer. If I'm going out of state, I will, you know, grab plenty of the local beer to bring back. Um, but I, I don't know, it, it, you know, I think Colin said on one of our, our first shows, say, my favorite beer is the, the cold one in my hands. And, uh, I think sometimes with, you know, the number of limited releases, um, I, I don't think they're going to stop brewing Hetty Topper, um, anytime soon. And so if I want to try another can, I'm sure it will come about. Yeah. But it wouldn't it be more special to make 
your own version well, out of the hops from your backyard? Of, of and- course, of course. Yeah. Well, you know, anytime we talk, we've talked about that before about limited releases and like how the people can kind of go crazy for them. And if you think about it, every beer that you make is, is a, a limited release, limited as a home release. Brewer, especially if you're doing a smash too. Yeah. You know, when it comes to the smash recipes, single malt, single hop, are there, um, is there a chocolate and peanut butter to you? Is there a like to just go like this and this, bang bang, go together pairings that are perfect? Um. There's kind of some that I find that are out there that are uh, really sometimes work. Um, and if I can think of a couple of beers. So instead of saying all general things, um, we did a smash with uh, Munich malt, uh, the Munich malt from New York Craft Malt, and a American hop that was uh, extremely citrusy last year. And so we got a kind of this like orange and honey thing going. Um, the year previous, we did a smash with the first year of the El Dorado, which had a kind of lime-like appearance. So we did a, a traditional Vienna lager. We used, I think, about seven or eight pounds of Vienna malt to make a, you know, a light Vienna lager. And instead of doing, you know, very faint hopping, we overloaded it with tons of the El Dorado, and we got this wonder. Oh, I'm sorry, Motueka, and we got this wonderful like lime and so you have this kind of toast and lime um but again when i talk about like hops and you know like two rows there's no two that tend to directly contrast each other and so if you came in and you picked up two ounces of hops and 10 pounds of two row base malt and you just made a smash um i can tell you one we have well over 100 hops and we have about uh, to put a safe guess, um, 15 different two rows. Um, and so you can work out, you know, that 1,500 combinations yeah. of, of different uh, smashes. And I guarantee you, if you like hoppy beers and you've never had a hoppy beer that's really turned you off, you could make those, you know, 1,500 beers and not have one you didn't like. Hmm. Smash beers. Yeah. Yeah, uh, do you anticipate smashes for the uh, Niagara homegrown home? I, I I expect a few. I bet you because I bet you we'll see not only smashes where somebody's trying to highlight maybe they've purchased some of the local Chinook or Cascade, but if they're trying to make I think a very sessionable pale ale or Pilsner, um, it's going to end up a smash out of nature. If they're trying to use kind of familiar hops to kind of highlight the malt, or if they're doing a kind of light lager, a lot of them end up being smashes if you're using you know like an ounce of holler out tau to bitter uh half an ounce of the same like middle fruit or something to finish you're kind of making a smash final minute of the show here we can remind you uh stores open today but closed on monday for labor day so have a happy labor day weekend um by the time we get back to it we'll be in football season because the opener is on thursday and then of course the bills play on sunday so so we, get your beer ready. Yeah, get beers ready, football, beers, all that good stuff. Uh, again, open today, and if you have a beer that you made with 80% Niagara malt, um, there's no entry fee. You can submit three 12-ounce unmarked bottles to Niagara Tradition by next Saturday. And we can help you fill out the form. So if you just walk in with three bottles, we got you covered. Very good. Jeremy White, Bert Deister, happy Saturday. And if you're tired of going brewing yourself, come brew with us today. Beer, 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 beer. You 
You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.